Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Rossafari Zoo News, your look at everything going on in the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and general animal weirdness. And y'all, this is a very special episode of Rossafari Zoo News. Um, it's going to be a shortened actual newscast type of thing, because we're actually going to start off with my little intro here, and then we're going to go into not one, but two different interviews. So um, tis the season, y'all. And, and when I say that, the season I'm referring to is zoos and aquariums all around setting up holiday light displays and trying to get people to come to the zoo in the evening or come to the aquarium during normal hours to see underwater Christmas trees and stuff. And um, I've actually had over the years a bunch of people reach out to me and kind of wonder why places do this. Um, either from the perspective of just like, why are they adding this nighttime thing or, you know, more frequently, what effect does it have on the animals and, and do we know what effect it has on the animals? So I thought this year I would bring you that information. Uh, so I headed down to, well, frankly, my favorite place to head down to, uh, which is, of course, the Greensboro Science Center. And I went and I checked out their lights display. Now, their show is called Winter Wonder Lights, and it is absolutely wonderful. And so um, today, we're going to start off this episode with two quick interviews. The first one is me talking to our good friend, Becca, um, about kind of the effect that, uh, you know, something like Winter Wonder Lights can have on the community, on the facility that it's at, all of that good kind of stuff. And then I talked to Carolyn, who uh, is a big muckety-muck at the Greensboro Science Center, and uh, she talks about, you know, the steps taken to make sure that the animals are comfortable and, and how we understand that what's going on is okay. So I'm really excited for you all to hear those interviews, and then we'll get into our normal Zoo News stuff. But before we get to all of that, I have two things that I wanted to tell you about. First of all, don't forget the contest that I'm holding right now. Um, there are a couple of different ways that you can win some really cool prizes. Uh, don't forget, you do not have to spend money to enter this contest. If you leave a rating for Rossafari on any podcast app or social media or anything that allows you to leave a rating, uh, you get an entry. And if you take the time to leave a review anywhere that allows you to leave a review, you get five entries. 
And then additionally, uh, if you do donate to my um, project to help the Lehigh Valley Zoo uh, bring in a red panda habitat, uh, which I'll have a link up for in stories, then you can also earn some entries that way by donating. But you do not have to donate to be a part of this incredible contest. And um, there are some really cool prizes which are out there on the socials. So make sure you check it all out and uh, go ahead and get yourself some entries. And then um, also, I have a kind of cute, kind of funny story that I wanted to share with you. So I've mentioned on here before that uh, if you're looking for gifts for the red panda lover in your life, there is a really cute red panda ornament and a really cute stuffed red panda that are available at Target stores nationwide. Uh, the, the stuffed red panda in particular is particularly floppy, very adorable, big fan. Uh, it's actually an FAO Schwartz, uh, creation. So what I've been doing lately, and this is ridiculous, is I've, I've come to realize that all of the, the plush animals at Target are in two different places. There is a display in the main aisle of some of the FAO Schwartz stuffed animals, and then there's also an area just in the toy aisles where they're kind of buried a little bit. And I have been going and finding all of the red pandas in both areas taking them all to the main display area on the main aisle and making sure that they're all looking their best and sticking out in a very noticeable way, hanging over the top and being adorable and all that kind of stuff. I have a lot of targets in my area and I, I like to go to target. So I've, I've done this at at least three targets where I have then returned in the next 24 to 48 hours. And I can report that every single time all of the red pandas have sold. And that is true despite the fact that it doesn't look like a ton of any uh, other stuffed animals are moving in general. But I have been making sure that these red pandas get seen and get purchased. And yeah, that's really silly. And no one's going to call me a hero for um, making sure that stuffed red pandas get to go to their home. Except that I truly do believe that we're going to be more likely to save a species if we fall in love with it. And if parents are going and buying these for their kids or partners are going and buying these for each other or adults are buying them for themselves, nothing wrong with that, um, and just seeing how cute they are and wanting to learn more about them, then those are people who are more likely to fall in love with red pandas and then maybe save them. It's a goofy thing, but it takes all of 30 seconds. It allows me to hold all of the stuffed red pandas and tell them they're adorable because of course I do. And um, it's been really fun seeing how successful it is and how they just fly off the shelves if you give them the proper, um, you know, attention and, and make sure that they look their best and make sure that they are very visible. So I don't know, just a silly little thing I wanted to tell you all about. But uh, enough chatting. Let's get to the interview followed by Zoo News. So let's start off by you telling me who you are, where we are, and what you do here. My name is Becca Robinson. I am the PR and digital marketing coordinator for the Greensboro Science Center. And obviously, we are at the Greensboro Science Center. Ooh, yeah, we are. And you are the person who has become one of my besties and lets me do all the fun animal things. Yeah, yeah, you're one of my besties too. Yay. So hopefully the podcast, I'm a bestie to them. 
Well, yeah, that too, that too. But like, like, yeah, like for everyone listening, you should be very jealous because like we're going out and getting Mediterranean food after this interview. Yeah, we are. It's going to be delicious. I'm so excited. excited. It would be Indian food, except Becca doesn't like Indian food. I'm sorry. But I'm still willing to be her friend. I, you know, it's the little things, John. I'm glad you can overlook our differences. So, all right. So we're here to do a special conversation about a special event taking place at Greensboro right now. Um, But for those listening, I also want to make the point that um, this isn't just about Greensboro, although I I can't uh, tell you enough how much you should make a time to come down here. (laughs) But a lot of zoos do this kind of event. And so I wanted to do a bit of a deep dive into it. And I thought that would be interesting because it is the season for zoos to become all pretty and lit up at night. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so let's talk. I think some of the other facilities do an amazing job of it too. I just want to say that. Yeah, almost as good as you guys, right? Hey, listen, I saw the Chinese lanterns at at the Zoo Atlanta. Gorgeous, Mm -hmm. gorgeous. So I've been wanting to get back and see those. But um, yeah, so ours is a little different. Ours is a little more traditional in the sense of a holiday light show. So uh, this year, our Winter Wonder Lights is running from November 22nd through December 31st, 2023, um, 5.30 to 10 p.m. daily. Uh, We do have some days that were closed, like obviously Thanksgiving Day, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and then some random days throughout November and December. Makes sense. Um, Yeah. So tell me about it. What what are we going to see? Yeah. So you can actually see over a million lights. um, And John, you're about to see them tonight. I'm going to count them. I hope you do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, but our entire facility um, from our 22 acre zoo to our aquarium this year uh, and our, you haven't seen the best part in my opinion, um, our fountain show has actually moved inside into our great hall. So that's usually where we have our traveling exhibits. Uh, that's where this is this year. And then we also have an indoor sock skating rink that I really hope that I can get you on. A sock skating rink? It is exactly what it sounds like. It is a sock skating rink. Well, all right. I mean, I haven't fallen down at the Greensboro Science Center since, well, earlier today. We need but, a whiteboard. Uh, <laughs> Days since John has fallen. Zero. <laughs> no, yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. We'll have to do that. Uh, so yeah, that sounds really cool. Yeah, I'm we've got, um, I don't want to ruin all the surprises for you, John, but I will tell you that uh, we are a little magical here at the Science Center and we do have three snow machines. We make snow here. Really? Yes. Ah, that's so cool. We make snow to make it feel, you know, super magical, super special. Um, it's This is our fourth year doing this, so we love bringing the community together and bringing them out here at the Science Center. What a great experience for people who have grown up coming to the Science Center and seeing the Science Center not only grow as the center that it is that you see, you know, for most of the year to this wonderful holiday light show. So I think it's super special for not just people from Greensboro, but in North Carolina, honestly, and we pull people from all 50 states and Puerto Rico. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, so let's, let's talk about it. What, what, what do you think, um, what are the benefits to the science center for having something like this? You know, I think some of the biggest benefits to the science center for this is actually getting people to come together. You know, we're all about our community and how can we better serve our community? Um, you know, and, and bringing people out here, together with their family during the holidays is all about that community togetherness. And so I think that's what the Science Center gets out of this. You know, it's obviously it's phenomenal. It's hard work. It takes over three weeks to put this up. Um, And, you know, a lot of people are like, it's not even Thanksgiving. It's not even Halloween. Why are y'all putting this up right now? Um, 
But, you know, it's because it takes so long to put it up. And we actually have a great group of people. They're actually called elves. Um, so we work, <laughs> of course they are. We work with um, a company called Spyro. So they are actually the ones who do the Harry Potter light experience. Okay. So, yeah. and a, a number of other things too. But we actually work with them to design our holiday light show. And so they actually um, have the elves that come out and, uh, they help us put this together, but you know, it's, it's not just them. It's almost the entirety of the science center that comes together to put together the show. And I think it's special. Um, you know, it's something that we started during COVID to, it was one of the only things at the time that you could do with your loved ones outside. Um, and you know, that was around the time when, you know, are we supposed to mask outside? Are we supposed to mask? Can we wear ma- not, you know, non-masks outside? So, you know, it was kind of odd, uh, but it was one of the only things at the time and how crazy to launch something like this during COVID. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, only gotten bigger and brighter and better. That's so. really cool. Yeah. Back then it was four candles and six additional lights. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the million lights. Yeah. We actually hit over a million lights last year. Nice. Um, I have not counted them, but that is confirmation from Spyro. So, and I do know that uh, the people who work, you know, who are the, really the the brains behind this, Mitch and Beth, they are always adding something new. Um, you know, I'm something I'm really excited about are the jellyfish. I'm sure you saw them whenever you're in the aquarium. They're hard to miss. Yeah, but those are actually specially made, and I think they're awesome. Nice. They're so fun. Um, I like turning them on. <laughs> <laughs> playing with the colors. Nice. So. Yeah, no, they were very cool. Jellies uh, hanging down from the ceilings yeah. and, and you can mess with them. There's 18 and of those. Lighting. You can count yeah. those too. Okay, good. <laughs> I can count to 18. <laughs> but uh, no, that's very cool. Um, so every year it's gotten bigger. Yep. More lights, more areas. You said this was the first area with the aquarium or the first year with the aquarium. Yep, the first year with the indoor area. Oh, well, I, so that makes it sound like we do have our dino gallery. We have always had our dino gallery. That's always been a part of it. Um, it actually is called a dino disco. Amazing. So we, we have 15 zones. They're all named something fun like that. Uh, so we've always had the dino disco. I tried to avoid that area because I want you to see it whenever the walls are actually, they look like lava lamps. Nice. And there's a bunch of disco balls in there. That's true. Now that I think that you have rerouted me throughout the day to not go through the mm-hmm. dino area. I wanted that to be a surprise for okay, you. Okay. Well, I'm so. looking forward to that tonight. <laughs> um, but, but you said it was the first time that the aquarium is mm-hmm. involved, the right? The aquarium and so the Great Hall. what has that been like for the, the aquarium staff? Because we've heard from two of them on the podcast, but I've yeah. gotten to meet most of them now. <laughs> it's an amazing group of individuals, but like they're working hard over there. There's a lot going on. So what's yeah, it been are. like for them? I think that our aquarium team actually really enjoy it. Um, I think most of the people, even, you know, you saw the lights whenever they were on, but you went in there before they were on. Did you notice the jellies? Mm-hmm. So I think that they've been a great addition. I think a lot of our staff, including our aquarium staff, really want those jellies to stay up year round. I mean, they do fit. They're really cool. Yeah, they yeah. look really good. So I don't know what the plan is for that, but the aquarium staff seem to really like that. Um, and you can't go into our expansion. It's just our main gallery area. Um, and it plays that soft music. So I think it's actually called uh, Dance of the Jellyfish, I think is what it's called. The nice. Dance of the Jellyfish. Nice. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Very cool. I like this a lot. Um, and so we, we've talked a little bit about what uh, what GSC benefits from mm-hmm. it, but what do you think the community gets from this? I think it's something similar to what the Science Center gets, so I think they also get that sense of togetherness. Um, but I think it's something special because Greensboro does a great job of transforming their downtown space, um, Center City Park, actually, in downtown Greensboro. They transform that, and LeBauer Park 
to be very magical and special, but it's nothing on the same scale as the Science Center. And then the next closest places to Greensboro to experience something like this are about 30 to 45 minutes away. So, you know, if you have family that are coming into town and you want to do something special with them during the holidays, um, you know, why not come out to the Science Center? You know, we have people visiting during the day and, you know, they see these lights during the day and you've seen them during the day. They look great. They do. They're actually very cool. They look way better at night. Well, I'm sure. (laughs) So I think Greensboro gets the same thing. And then we also get the great tourism from it. You know, we have people who are coming from all 50 states, from Puerto Rico, from, um, you know, almost all 100 counties to come to the Science Center for this. And not just for this, but, you know, during the day as well. So, you know, we're getting those visitors to Greensboro. So I think it really boosts Greensboro as well. That's cool. And I'm curious, what um, what do you think the, you know, obviously I'm always very focused on conservation and that that story. And I, I know, I'm, I'm guessing there aren't new pretty light up conservation-y signs. But do you think there's any impact that this has? Yeah. Um, even maybe just getting people more interested in coming back yeah, to absolutely. get that message? Yeah, so obviously the money that we um, get from ticket sales for Winter Wonderlights uh, supports the mission of the Science Center, which... The Science Center supports conservation. Um, And of course, it's also, I think, going to really have people wanting to come back out here during the day to see the animals during the day. You know, it's not always a given that you can see the animals during Winter Wonderlights. You know, there's a chance you might be able to, but if you haven't been to the Science Center in a while, I think it's great because you might not know that we have a 22-acre zoo. You might have only ever seen our original animal discovery, or if you haven't even seen that, you know, what if it was before all of that, or maybe you didn't know that we have an aquarium. And so I think that really encourages people to then come back out with their families then, you know, or even just come back out by themselves. I mean, nothing wrong with going to a zoo by yourself. Gosh, I hope not. Because if there is, I have problems. But, <laughs> Same, um, honestly. Yeah. But um, I'm curious, you said that you, you might catch glimpses of animals? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, okay, so, good. Um, so I, I didn't come for nothing. Yeah, yeah. You might catch glimpses. You know, you might you might see our sloth moving around. Um, you might see in our shark reef tank, you might see the sharks because, you know, they're always swimming. You they don't go those. to bed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You might see, I mean, it'll be dark. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the lights go off. It's time for them to go to bed. But, you know... They might swim past and you might catch a glimpse of them. Um, you know, you might see the servals. They still have access. So you might be able to see them out um, or any of the other animals that get that access at night. You might be able to see them. So it's a super cool experience. And even if you ca- do catch that glimpse, I'll tell you, people really like seeing our black-footed cat who you got to see. That was very cool. Huck, that's yes, his name. That was very cool. He's a special guy. Yeah. Somehow I finagled my, my myself getting here at 1130 in the morning, despite the fact that we're here to go to Winter Wonder Lights at like six o'clock at I night. Was in, Worked out pretty well. I was impressed that you got here at 1130. I was impressed that I got here at 1130. <laughs> like, mornings are hard. But yeah. Awesome. Is there anything else that you want to say about this? Um, you know, I, I think what I should say is I would love to see, obviously, everybody come out and experience this. But if you can't make it here, go to your local zoo, support them support them during this time during the holidays. You know, it's a special time. They spend a lot of time putting these shows together and I think they're super special. They celebrate so many different cultures, so many different holidays and they're really incredible just to see and experience. You can speak on that. So. No, yeah. And it's also at a time where zoo attendance is down yeah. like during that part of the year um, a lot. And so this is a great way to go and have a different experience and support your local zoo and also travel to Greensboro and support the Greensboro <laughs> Science Center and um, buy lots of tickets and, and get hot cocoa or whatever yeah, and we have do hot the cocoa. thing. 
It's some of the best hot chocolate I've ever had. I mean, um, I'm mostly here for that. Let's be honest. <laughs> Pandas and, and cocoa. So, you know. That's, that should be our podcast name. <laughs> I like it. Pandas and cocoa. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being such a good friend. I've loved this friendship that we've had. The yeah. This is cool. Out of all of this. So I love it. Yay. Thank you. All right. So let's start off by you telling me who you are, where you work, and what you do here. Yeah, so my name is Carolyn Mikolskis, and I am the assistant curator here at the Greensboro Science Center. And I have a lot of responsibilities, but one of my big ones is taking care of our Sumatran tigers, and I'm also over our training and enrichment program. Oh, nice. I am pretty obsessed with training and enrichment, but sadly, that's not what we're here to talk about today, maybe a future episode. So I've been talking to Becca about winter wonder lights here at the Greensboro Science Center, and um, it's great to get her perspective, but I wanted to talk to somebody in animal care because I know that sometimes, you know, people have questions because this is a zoological facility. And, you know, I'm curious what thoughts go into the animals and animal welfare and all of that stuff when considering starting an event like this. And, and if there are any steps that y'all take to make sure that the animals are, you know, well taken care of. And spoiler alert, y'all know I love it here. <laughs> so, like, I already know the answer. But if you could just explain to the people who are listening some of the steps that get taken. Yeah, absolutely. So there's probably a lot more that goes on behind the scenes than people actually think. And one of the things... <laughs> That's our job is to obviously give excellent welfare uh, whenever it's available. And whenever things change, it's important that the keepers know what to look for with their animals and ways that we can kind of mitigate that change to best suit the animals. So for Winter Wonderlights, this is a really fun event, but it definitely changes what's going on in our animals' lives. Sometimes that can be really enriching because them seeing people after hours, hearing the music, seeing the lights, that can actually be kind of fun and interesting to some of the animals, which is a great thing. That makes sense, and that's why I keep trying to break into zoos after hours, but security (laughs) stops me. I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah, you might be the, you know, the party. You might see them partying. Um, I'm like, I'm enrichment, guys. Exactly. Yeah, and it's true. And, you know, for some of our nocturnal animals, you think, like, they never see anybody unless they come in. And so Gwen, like one of our porcupines, when I work the event, I'll usually go in and check on her and see what she's up to. And so that's always really fun. Nice. And so, but one of the things that we do is we actually take data before the event occurs, right? So we want to know what our baseline is. What are the animals doing at these certain times of night? So we set up trail cameras and we essentially look to see if they are up at this hour, what they're doing, are they eating, are they sleeping? And then we compare that data to once the Winter Wonder Lights opens and see, are they still sleeping? Are they still eating in those normal patterns? And if they're not, we know that we can take steps to kind of mitigate that. So we've done a couple of things here for some of the animals that tend to be a little more sensitive to the sound and noise and lights. For instance, our servals, we've boarded up their windows so that no light can get in. And that way it's a really nice dark area still for them at night in their holding space. Um, we've also... Oh, before you move oh, yeah. on, just to, just to, to mm-hmm. clarify. Now, you know, some people who, who listen might think, oh, but that's such a bummer. They can't see out the window, but they still have access. And just can you explain a little exactly. bit more about yeah. that? Just, yeah. So when the weather is good, so as long as it's not freezing outside, the servals still get to have access to their exhibit. So if they want to, they can actually come out. They can take a look at what's going on. But if they want to go back into their den areas, they can do that as well. And our servals are actually one of the very few animals where you have full view of their entire den area. Some of our animals have an exhibit space, but then behind that, they also have an area that's um, 
not visible to the mm-hmm. public. Yeah. And so for Winter Wonder Lights, you can see them on exhibit or they can go in the back. The Surtles are the only ones that really didn't have that choice. And so we helped them by creating pretty much a den area for them during the during the festival. That's really cool. I yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, are there any other examples of specific animals that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, definitely. So going back to some of the cats that are viewable through the windows, one of the things we noticed through our trail cam is, of course, people want to see the animals. And so they'll take their flashlights and they'll shine them in, even though it says, like, please don't do that. Right. Uh, and so one of the things we're going to be doing this year to help with that is we're putting up red lights so people can see the animals without the animals being affected. And so they're not going to get those flashlights shined in and waking them up or disturbing their sleep. And so uh, we're really looking forward to seeing how they respond to the red light and the festival going on this year and see if it kind of helps with that issue that we encountered last year. Nice. That's really cool. That's a better strategy than I thought you would use, which was hiring big burly guys like me to come and tackle the people that use (laughs) their their flashlights. I would volunteer to do that, by the way. Just saying. No, No, that's really cool. And then there are some other things that we do for animals where we don't have to have all the data. We just know that they're a little bit more sensitive animals and we're going to give them a little bit more options. So the music obviously is something that I know the keepers love it when we're walking through the zoo at the end. It's beautiful to hear Christmas music playing, but obviously to the animals, it can be a little startling. And so one of the things that we actually do is we allow our animals to have access a little earlier so that they can come inside and that music isn't as uh, startling to them and they have that area to go. So we also give them more choice and control uh, through those situations. Nice. Very cool. Um, do you ever consider uh, any of the other, like, if there are non-denominational animals or Jewish animals or anything? And make sure it's not all... No, I kid. Yeah. I kid. I'm a big dummy. But no, that's very cool. Um, that I think that's such a great example, or a couple of great examples of, of ways that y'all are taking care of that. And I think that's I think that's just something that I wanted to have on the pod, because I know that obviously this event wouldn't happen if it was bad for the animals. Um but I also know that, like, a lot of times people don't understand how you know that. And I yeah. think that's really cool. I love that y'all are taking data and, and you know, hitting it from a scientific approach. That's really yeah. cool. A lot of other facilities do this as well. And so it's, you know, not trying to reinvent the wheel kind of thing. You want to reach out, see how other people's animals are being affected, see how their event's going. And so we can get a lot of data from other people as well, which is kind of what we do in the zoo community anyway. So just another aspect of how we kind of reach out. And, and that's how we try new things things, right? It's always nice if you're not the first one trying the new right. thing. So, you know, this year we've opened it up to our aquarium. And so um, reaching out to other facilities who have done nighttime aquarium events and seeing how their animals respond is a really great way to to kind of get that data before we have to do it ourselves. No, that's very, very cool. Awesome. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to say about all of this? No, it's a really fun event. Um, I know I love it. Our families always come out to it. I actually really like seeing the animals, even though it's not about the animals when you come, the lights and the music. And it's always about the animals. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we really look forward to it every year. And so um, I think it's a really cool experience. And I'm glad our, our zoo is uh, doing some of those fun festivals. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to experience it tonight. So mm-hmm. yeah, awesome. Oh, yay. yay. Cool. Thank you very much <laughs> for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Right. And-
And so we are going to start off with our births and deaths segment. And uh, we're starting with some births. And uh, y'all, Capenzi did the thing. The Seneca Park Zoo has announced that Capenzi, the giraffe who is currently being medically managed for an inoperable tumor, but was still able to get pregnant, has given birth to her giraffelet. Now, this is super exciting news, as both mother and baby appear to be doing well. Obviously, given Capenzi's health issues that we've talked about on previous Zoo News episodes, the zoo has announced that they will be closely monitoring the pair. But baby is here, and for now, all seems well. What a great story. And uh, speaking of particularly exciting births, the Columbus Zoo has announced the birth of a female orangutan. Now, this oranglet is actually the first of the species born at the zoo in over 60 years, which I find kind of amazing, like surprising, but like awesome. This is so cool. So congrats to the primate team of the Columbus Zoo. And the Little Rock Zoo has announced the birth of two pygmy slow loris babies or pygmy slow lorlets. Now, this is a species that does not live in a ton of zoos, and they often aren't successful when breeding, so it's really exciting when a facility like the Little Rock Zoo gets so good at it, and they really are good at it. In fact, this is the third time that parents Frazier and Min Yi have given birth to twins at the zoo, and all of those are now off at other zoos, helping to expand the Slow Loris population, which is just awesome. Very cool, very cute animals. And of course, that brings us to the other side of the coin, to the deaths. And um, uh, we're going to start off out in Utah, where Utah's Hogel Zoo suffered a heartbreaking loss this week. Priya, the five-year-old red panda who lived at the zoo, has passed away. Priya is a new mother, but for those concerned, the cub is fully weaned and independent, so while this loss is tragic, it won't affect Dorji, the cub, as it would have if it happened earlier in the year. Um, as of now, the team does not know what it was that caused uh, Priya to get sick, though they hope the necropsy will answer that question. What they do know is that once she grew ill, the team provided 24-hour around-the-clock care in partnership with the ICU unit at Advanced Veterinary Care out there. Uh, I, I recently had the pleasure of seeing the entire Red Panda family at Hogel Zoo, and uh, they were all interacting, and it was it was really, really adorable. Um, Priya was clearly the boss, and she also really loved training with her keepers. I, I try to avoid speculation in situations like this, but I can't help but wonder if this will be to prove another kidney issue, uh, something younger red pandas have died from in the wild and in human care and that we're actively working on solving right now. But uh, regardless of the cause, I am sending all my love to the amazing Red Panda team at Hogel Zoo. It's a great facility with an amazing Red Panda habitat, and uh, it's hard to think that that habitat's feeling a little emptier than it should today. Uh, I can't imagine what those keepers are going through, so sending all my love. Zoo New England has announced the passing of Blue, a nine-year-old cougar that lived at Stone Zoo. 
Several months ago, Blue started experiencing seizures, and the vet team quickly went into action to help alleviate the situation. Sadly, the seizures recently became worse and stopped responding to treatment, so the decision was made to humanely euthanize Blue. Uh, Now, Blue was one of those cougar cubs that uh, go off to live in zoos after being orphaned in the wild and then rehabilitated, but with a non-releasable designation. When he got to the zoo, he weighed only five pounds, and he quickly became a staff favorite. It is so sad to see him go, but at least he had an amazing, amazing life at Stone Zoo. And then um, along with those two animals, uh, we have two humans in the zoo world that have left us this week that I wanted to pay tribute to on the podcast. The first of these is Dr. Terry L. Maple, who was the former president and CEO of Zoo Atlanta, who then went on to be named Director Emeritus of the Zoo. When Dr. Maple started his career at the zoo in Atlanta, things were bleak for the facility. They were not considered very good and were actually known for a string of highly publicized negative experiences and also for having dilapidated facilities. So much so, in fact, that the zoo was actually in danger of being closed down. Now, instead of that happening, Dr. Mabel came in and turned things around, rebranding the facility as the Zoo Atlanta that we know and love today, and encouraging the residents of Atlanta to become invested in creating the world's next great zoo. He quickly started off by launching the current Gorilla Exhibit, which is still considered one of the best in the USA, and he grew the zoo into what we know and love today, including overseeing the giant panda program coming to Zoo Atlanta, which obviously has had an incredible impact on the zoo. Dr. Maple always focused on the development of beautiful, naturalistic habitats that helped ensure the well-being of the animals at the zoo at a time where the physical and mental needs of animals were not always considered in the wider zoological industry. His impact is felt not just at Zoo Atlanta, but at zoos all around the globe that were influenced by the steps Dr. Maple took to make Zoo Atlanta such an amazing facility. He will be greatly missed. The second farewell is a more personal one, as the zoo community unexpectedly lost Dr. Alex Ernst this week at the age of 45. Dr. Ernst was the assistant director and veterinarian at Cape May County Zoo, where his vision and passion were legendary. He was a well-respected boss who not only worked tirelessly to improve the zoo, but also to provide for the health of the animals there. Dr. Ernst was actually the person who I was eventually put in touch with uh, when I was trying to set up interviews there, and he was so passionate and excited about getting to share the zoo and the zookeepers that he loved so much on the podcast. Now, despite having two incredibly important roles at the zoo, he took the time to email with me and then personally went around and talked to staff members uh, to, to try to drum up interest to have them on the pod. He was so accommodating and was so excited uh, to show off Cape May County Zoo. While I didn't know him super well, I know that the zoo world has lost a beautiful soul and the kind of passionate advocate that every zoo needs to have, especially in their leadership roles. He will be sorely, sorely missed. 
moving on from births and deaths, uh, this next story, I'm just gonna, gonna warn you, uh, it's, it's a little silly and it contains a naughty word. Uh, so we're gonna, we're gonna set a slightly different tone with this one. You have been warned. Aaron Paul, who played Jesse on Breaking Bad, recently made some zoo news. Turns out that he is a big supporter of the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, and as such, was uh, recently allowed to name a giraffe calf, or giraffelet, uh, along with his daughter. Uh, the daughter is named Story, by the way. And Story chose the name Elliot after her favorite movie of all time, E.T., now, Aaron put up a great post on Instagram telling the story of getting to name the draft and also thanking the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance for the incredible work they do. It was really, really awesome to see, especially from one of the stars of one of my favorite shows ever. And also, honestly, I'm glad he let his daughter name the giraffe because I'm worried that he might have accidentally been in character if he was given the chance. And uh, let's be honest. Yeah, bitch. Just really doesn't work as a giraffe name. All right. Now. I've mentioned on here before that a few zoos uh, either are or have been sued by a group that calls themselves an animal rights activist group, um, and specifically they are trying to get elephants out of zoos and into sanctuaries. Now, after multiple court losses, it is my opinion that these organizations are starting these lawsuits to get attention and to line their own pockets, uh, while also hoping to cause financial hardship uh, to the incredible facilities they are suing. One facility that was sued recently was Cheyenne Mountain Zoo, and that lawsuit was recently dismissed. The judge, in denying the petition, stated that even if he accepted every fact the group presented as truthful, they still did not have a legal case against the zoo. In his decision, the judge even stated that if anyone had earned the right to speak on the best interest of the elephants, it would not be the group in question, but instead it would be Cheyenne Mountain Zoo, which has dedicated itself to these amazing animals. Now, sadly, this is not the end of the journey. Uh, the group will have their motion appealed to the Colorado Court of Appeals and, if it fails there, could then petition the state Supreme Court. Each of these efforts could take a year or longer and will obviously be used to drum up finances for the group while also draining the resources of the zoo, which has to pay legal counsel to navigate these cases. But while the legal battle will go on, this is an exciting win for the zoo and one that deserves to be celebrated. So, uh, yay! Okay. Remember the announcement that I announced that the Columbus Zoo was going to announce this week? Well, they announced it. The announcement was a series of groundbreaking conservation initiatives. At the Wilds, they are launching the North American Center for Bison Conservation, which uh, hopes to become the leader of bison conservation in the United States. At the Columbus Zoo, they are launching the Ohio Center for Wildlife Conservation, which will be focused on local species, including reintroduction programs. Then, moving out into the world, they are also collaborating with gorilla doctors in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, where they will be creating a field laboratory 
office, and clinic for the team there, while also helping efforts to raise awareness for the species. In India, the zoo is helping to launch the Center for Species Survival for Asian Elephants. The center will connect 13 Asian elephant range countries. In Madagascar, black and white ruffed lemurs will be being studied by teams from Columbus as well as local conservationists, with efforts being focused on not only helping the species, but also raising up homegrown conservationists. This is a huge number of initiatives, and I think it is really exciting. Cannot wait to see what the Columbus Zoo and the Wilds uh, does with all this stuff. It's amazing. All right, and uh, then we're gonna we're gonna get to our last two stories of the Zoo News section, and um, they're doozies, y'all, in different ways. So, a four-year-old female a kangaroo. Now, we're talking the normal, boring kind, not the tree kind, which is known for its enduring awesomeness recently slipped away from her handlers while in transport between her previous home at Oshawa Zoo, a facility in Canada that, as far as I can tell, has no accreditation, and her new home, a facility in Quebec. She was able to remain on the lamb for four days, despite being sighted by multiple surprised motorists. Not, not a lot of kangaroos in the wild in Canada, y'all. When cops were finally able to track her down, they snuck up behind her and grabbed her tail, something advised by her handlers. However, as they were restraining the kangaroo, she managed to punch one of the cops in the face. Now, they were able to subdue her without hurting her, put her in one of their canine kennels, and got her back to her original zoo, where the vet staff checked her out and gave her a clean bill of health. And while this is a wild and kind of amusing story, the Toronto Zoo posted about it, reminding people that there are a lot of unaccredited zoos and even private owners of exotic animals in Canada, and especially in Ontario, an issue we've talked about on here recently. The zoo has already encouraged the government to enforce laws on the books and also to craft stronger laws to truly protect exotic animals that are in roadside zoos and private ownership situations that are clearly not good for them. I really respect the Toronto Zoo for using a public example of a zoo looking bad to highlight the need for better laws in Ontario and also for pointing out the differences between good and bad facilities. Trying to get this distinction out to the general public as often as possible is really important, and I believe that a better understanding of that distinction will be something that will help to uh, quiet the anti-zoo movement amongst movements of of the general public at least so uh props to the toronto zoo for for doing that and last but not least in the zoo news section this week i i I can't believe i'm saying this um but there is an official fiona the musical that is currently playing in cincinnati It's running at Ensemble Theater Cincinnati until December 29th, and there is even a trailer for it on YouTube if you want to hit the Google machine. The synopsis states, in part, when Fiona is born two months early at only 29 pounds, the odds are stacked against her. 
but when a determined team of zookeepers and doctors refuses to give up on the little hippo that could, the beautiful friendships that form might be just the thing to give Fiona the strength she needs. So, well, that exists. I, I never thought that uh, the, the story of Fiona might just be, uh, you know, hey, the real story of Fiona was the friends we made along the way. But maybe it is. Conservation! Conservation! News time! Oh, yeah! All right, and we are going to start our conservation news segment with a rediscovery of a species that has been feared to be extinct for 86 years. The species in question is the iridescent de Winton's golden mole, which has been rediscovered in South Africa. This is a mole that makes a swimming-like movement through the sand, which is fascinating and kind of adorable, honestly. And uh, as a fun aside to this story, the mole was rediscovered by a conservationist who believed the moles must still exist, and thus trained a border collie named Jesse to sniff out golden moles, which uh, Jesse did successfully. And we now know this species is not extinct. Oh, what a good boy Jesse is, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Good boy, Jesse. Um, and uh, speaking of species that were thought to be extinct, not not border collies like Jesse, who is a very good boy, but uh, the, the D. Winton's golden mole. Uh, any, anyway, um, did you know that giant ground pangolins were actually believed to be extinct in Kenya until being rediscovered in 2018? Now, going on six years later, conservationists are taking steps to ensure the species returns from the brink of extinction. Expunction? I'll, I'll workshop it. Anyway, the Pangolin Project has been taking steps to save the giant pangolin in Kenya. Currently, much of the human population in the area the pangolins live in are farmers that use electric fences to keep out wildlife. Fences that prove fatal to any pangolins that run into them. The farmers also tend to clear areas of the forest to turn into farmland, destroying the habitat the pangolins live in. Fortunately, many of the local citizens actually care about conservation and about pangolins, so already 60 households have come together to create a forest conservation trust dedicated to coexisting with the giant ground pangolins. It is an exciting start to a project that will hopefully protect the 30 to 80 or so remaining giant ground pangolins in Kenya and create a path to population growth for the species. I love how focused on the local community this project is. It's, it's really exciting. And um, that brings us to a species that isn't thought to be extinct, but in fact is known to be extinct so far. Now, I've mentioned on here before that there is a company that is planning to reintroduce the woolly mammoth to the world, and now that same company has released a de-extinction plan to reintroduce the dodo to its original native habitat. Colossal Biosciences, which is working on the project, has already teamed up with the Mauritian Wildlife Foundation to find a suitable location to bring back the large flightless birds. 
While the initial announcement of a plan to reintroduce the Dodo came out back in January, Colossal has actually announced how they plan on doing something that was previously thought to be undoable, uh, unless you thought Jurassic Park was a nonfiction story. Um, and actually, as I tell this story, I just it, it literally reads like something like Jurassic Park. This is this is amazing to me. OK, so let's get into this. The full genome of the dodo has been sequenced by Beth Shapiro, the lead paleogeneticist, because that's a thing you can be, at Colossal. The company has also sequenced the genome of the solitaire, an extinct relative of the dodo, and the Nicobar pigeon, which is the closest living relative to the dodo. The company has also figured out which cells work as a precursor for ovaries and testes in the Nicobar pigeon and are working on growing them in a chicken embryo. Stay with me on this one. So it turns out that scientists have previously introduced these types of cells from a chicken into a duck, producing an adult male duck that had the sperm of a rooster. The duck with rooster sperm then bred with a hen, which gave birth to a chicken chick. A chicklet? Anyway, so in the case of the dodo, Colossal plans to compare the dodo and solitaire genomes to the Nicobar pigeon's genome to identify how they differ. Then it will edit the pre-testes and pre-ovary cells of a Nicobar pigeon so it expresses the physical characteristics of a dodo. These edited cells will then be inserted into the embryos of a sterile chicken and a sterile rooster, which will allow them to reproduce and, in theory, their offspring will be, from a genetic perspective, a dodo. If all goes well, the bird will be indiscernible from a dodo, at least in appearance. As of now, there is no timeline for this project, but, like, holy crap, this is, like, literal Jurassic Park stuff. This is blowing my mind. I don't even, I don't even have an idea on if I think this is a good idea or a bad idea. I just can't believe this is a thing. I can't believe that there is a chicken out there in the world that has a duck as a father that had rooster sperm. None, none of this makes sense to me. I am blown away by this. And I just, I mean, did these people not read Jurassic? I don't know. But anyway, regardless, it is fascinating. And it really gets into what you can do to save a species that already exists if you can save a species that is extinct. I, I, my mind is blown, y'all. It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, no, right now, right now, it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the podcast other news. All right, so I'm always fascinated by how modern conveniences and wildlife will end up clashing, and this story is a great example of that. A homeowner in Tucson, Arizona, recently ordered a food delivery and got the notification that it had arrived. However, three minutes after getting that notification, when she went to the door, there wasn't any food there. So she checked her Ring video doorbell, and it turns out that, as she expected, her food was stolen. But 
not like she expected. It was stolen by a javelina. Now, uh, it's interesting to think about this. It's interesting to think about wildlife seeing and smelling food getting delivered to houses. And will that bring more wildlife into those, um, you know, suburban areas? It's it's an interesting thought. Um, you know, I know that there were some foxes that used to sit outside right by my place at night. And while they never got into my delivered meals, I did wonder sometimes what would happen if I didn't get to the door quickly enough. I mean, can you imagine a red fox with a taste for chicken tikka masala? I can. I can actually imagine anything having a taste for chicken tikka masala, except for Becca uh, Greensboro, who doesn't like Indian food, that little weirdo. But um, anyway, I digress. The point is, uh, cute story, kind of a fun thing to think about. And um, another great example of human-wildlife conflict in a way that we don't usually think about when we talk about like conservation stuff, because it's always such a bigger deal. But uh, the truth is, that's what that is. Oh, animal, oh, animal, animal holidays, animal, oh, animal, animal holidays. Hey! And that brings us to our animal holidays for the week. It is still December, the animalless month. Boo, December. Uh, as for individual days. Well, we don't have anything until Wednesday the 13th, which is National Day of the Horse and National Day of the Seahorse. Seriously? Seriously. Five days with nothing, and then we throw the horse and the seahorse on the same day. What, did someone just assume seahorses are just a type of horse that lives underwater, so slap the days together? R ridiculous. Ridiculous. Anyway, uh, Thursday the 14th is Monkey Day, and... Honestly, I'm surprised it's not also Sea Monkey Day, the way things are going lately. Ugh. And those are your animal holidays for the week. All right, folks, there you have it. Another episode of Rossafari Zoo News. And I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you learned a lot about what goes on with all these cool shows that uh, zoos are doing uh, for the winter season. Uh, I'd like to say thank you to everyone who contributed this week, including Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley-Croninger, Carrie Kirkpatrick, Kevin Williams, Jay Meredith, Dr. Laura Shank, Dr. Zoe Rossi, Ren Howell, Elizabeth Dunlevy, Mark Hansen, Crystal Chapman, Ali Malensky, Kay Malensky, the Malensky is now in high def, Becca Robinson, Carolyn Mikulskis, Amanda Berg, Karen Musk-Lowe, Ken Tryon, Emily Rockbuck, Sam Evans, I love y'all. And I also love my Red Panda level patrons who are out there giving me uh, my highest level of support at patreon.com slash Rossafari. I'm talking, of course, about Dr. Laura Shank, Dr. Stephen Williamson, and Barbara Bennett. Thank you all so much for your support, as well as thank you to all of my patrons and heck, all of my listeners and all of all of you. So yeah, go do the contest thing. Go support your zoos. Go to cool winter wonder lights type things. Have a blast and whatever else you do, remember the words newsy credits backwards are Steiderk Yuswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. 
interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo. You know, what a great experience for people who have grew up, you know, they've they've grown up. <laughs> You'll have to fix my... We'll, I'll have we'll to fix over. most of you. Yeah, you will. Yeah, you will. <laughs>